and Elahera's tail grew shining white and flashed like a star. And his back legs grew long and powerful, and he tore across the hill. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 97. And our movie this week was 1978's Watership Down. And with me to talk about it, because it was the first time he had seen it and the first time I had seen it, is Phil Rudd. Phil, how you doing? I'm good, Travis. How you doing? I, I didn't realize until uh, later on this afternoon that this was a first for both of us. So uh, this will this be pretty wild. First impressions yeah. all around. Yeah. So uh, wild is a good way to put it. Uh, let's just dive right into um, this is an animated film uh, directed by Martin Rosen and John Hubley. Now, John Hubley went uncredited in the film itself. Um, he had worked right. with he had worked for Disney um, prior to this. He had a disagreement over ideas and places that they wanted to go and left the project Martin Rosen took over. But um, Hubley's, most of what Hubley had worked on um, that stayed in the film was that opening sequence, uh, which I really liked. The sort of oh, myth. that was great, yeah. That, so the movie opens up with this kind of creation myth, um, and it throws a lot at you right away. However, um, I really, really enjoyed that opening. Like, that was just, I liked the art style. Um same. There was just something about that that really drew me in, and it draws you in right away. Now, <laughs> then things take a bit of a turn. Um, <laughs> I think the best way that I can describe this movie is it's uncompromising. It doesn't sugarcoat. It's not an animated film that you're going to show young kids, although I know that a lot of young kids did see it um, and uh, <laughs> regret having seen it as young kids. <laughs> Uh, that's that's my understanding. I didn't even know of the existence of this movie until I was probably in my thirties. Like I had never heard of it. I had, um, I I didn't. I was unfamiliar with it. All I know about this up to watching it today was that it scarred very deeply a generation of children who who did see this. Um, it, which. I I want to talk about like the state of animation at the time, um, and and that that it just all was if it was a cartoon it was geared towards children except for something like Fritz the Cat which obviously just had more of an underground audience but um I, uh, yeah I guess Ralph Bakshi was kind of on the scene by this time but it, more or less everything that was a cartoon was geared for children in this. Uh, is a little jarring when you realize what the the content of this thing is. So. Yeah, yeah. So it's based on a novel, and the novel was written by Richard Adams. And I kind of I did a little bit of digging on sort of the genesis of that, and the story actually came from him telling these stories to his kids, his daughters, as they would ride in the car in the English countryside, and then they sort of convinced him, "Hey, you need to write this stuff down." And he shopped it around for a couple of years before it finally got published. And uh, apparently the tone of the movie is very similar to the tone that he was going for with the novel. So it's that same kind of uncompromising thing. And the novel was published in 1972, I want to say. So it was okay. early 70s. Took it a couple of years before it got optioned into a movie. You're right in that the, kind of talking about the state of animation at this point, we really had, we'd had Warner Brothers cartoons and Disney and all of that. Feature film-wise, it was pretty much Disney uh, was the most well-known right. kind of wide-release stuff. But you're right. Ralph Bakshi, actually, the same year that this came out, put out his um, Lord of the Rings. Oh, was that Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also with John Hurt doing a voice, by the way. I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, John Hurt was all over animation in the 70s. He really he? was. That's kind of wild. It's, it's, it's pretty wild to think about. But you think about uh, in 78, he had this and uh, Lord of the Rings come out. And then 79, he's an alien. Uh, in 1980, he does yeah, yeah. The Elephant Man, like just one after the other. Guy was Twists working. and turns on, on all of that, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in all sorts <laughs> of different directions. 
But there was this idea that, right, that animation was kids. That's pretty much all it was, except for you mentioned right. Ralph Bakshi and, you know, with his Lord of the Rings, with Fritz the Cat, with stuff like that. There was some underground, um, more or more underground kind of uh, animation that was geared towards adults. But, you know, still a solid 90 plus percent of animation was geared at kids and thought of as geared for kids. And this sort of fits into the same lane as something like a Secret of Nim, or um, I, yes, the last uh, unicorn. I thought of Secret of Nim a lot while watching this today, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's it's one of those where it's this almost doesn't have a defined demographic that Watership Down is going for. I did I, I listened to an interview with uh, Guillermo del Toro talking about when he first saw this. Now. Take it all with a grain of salt, because dude, that dude is way out there, right? Del Toro is sure. a is a weird guy, but he talked about having seen this when he was like thirteen or fourteen, and and being kind of that perfect age for it. And I sort of get that, right? Because it's like it's it's a good story, but it's it doesn't pull punches. It's not sanitized for young children. Yeah, I think that's that's a good way to put it. Is saying not sanitized, and it's not like. It's not even like setting out to tell a, a shockingly dark story. It's just sort of like, this is nature, kids. This mm-hmm. is, you know, the, the circle of life kind of thing. Um, I didn't realize tribes of rabbits, you know, went to war with each other. But uh, outside of that, you know, like the, the idea of, of predators and, uh, and prey and, and just the different roles that animals play. Um, I watched this with uh, one of my sons and my wife. She kept bringing up the secret of Nim because she was getting, she goes, have I seen this or did I see secret of Nim? I'm like, <laughs> I I think they're kind of similar. Um, but that was Austin's take on it was also, uh, I like this because it's, it's very much akin to basically I'm paraphrasing what he said that this is nature. This is a, mm-hmm. a sort of almost factual uh, you know, everybody's personified, of course, but like, this is what happens in nature and it's not, it's not pulling those punches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it, very, it's, it, it was kind of, and that was a thing that, uh, Richard Adams talked about was apparently he, you know, people read into kind of subtext in this, uh, book and, uh, movie, which he was like, there wasn't any, at least none intentional. Right. That's fine. But it, it it is that nature thing, and it sets it up right in the beginning. That whole opening bit basically is all the animals are created, and then the rabbits kind of do their own thing. And I cannot remember the name that they give to the creator now. I don't um, remember either. Uh, but everything had such an odd name in the yeah. <laughs> but basically, the creator is just like looks at the rabbits and is like, "Hey, quit doing that." And the rabbits are like, "No." So he goes, "Okay, fine." All the other animals are going to be predators now, and everyone's going to hate you. But I'm going to make you fast, so and and right. alert. And that's that's what goes on throughout the movie. The rabbits are always like this hyper alert state, and really paying attention. So it creates this. There's this sense of sort of dread all the way through it because they're constantly worried about what's around every single corner. And so yeah, I get I I got that throughout watching it that there was a constant tension you feel the the tension that the, the rabbits are always wound tight they're always mm-hmm. uh uh looking around they're always very paranoid and i didn't i was very surprised when i figured out about halfway through like oh they've roped me in like i'm <laughs> just as tense as they are uh and this movie really hits some slow pockets but the that tension somehow remained throughout and I think the movie was really effective in doing in doing that in making you feel what these rabbits, these cartoon rabbits felt <laughs> and it's it's really wild that it was able to do that. Yeah, it, it kind of is. And you know, it this came out in that same era as you had Don Bluth kind of getting ready to just start his own stuff. Secret right. of Nim was 82, I believe. Somewhere around there, yeah. So within a couple of years of this, you had Jim Henson um, was was kind of breaking away a little bit from just doing something like Sesame Street, but he was doing The Muppet Show and um, 
Uh, uh, he had done uh, the, he had had the Muppets on SNL by this time. Okay, he had yeah. kind of come and gone from doing a little edgier kind of stuff, uh, but still gearing up to do things like the Dark Crystal mm-hmm. and use in planning for that for sure. Yeah, and you know when when we covered the Dark Crystal on this show last year, one of the things that I read was Henson talked about you know look sometimes it's good to scare kids right you want to. Sure. You don't you don't want to go out of your way to do it, but you also don't want to patronize them too much and sanitize everything for them. And that was that was something that he really felt strongly about, which is where kind of the Dark Crystal got its tone and everything like that. I think uh, Don Bluth sort of has a similar thought process. It seems like based on a lot of the stuff that he's done, because look, Secret and M or even uh, American Tale, the first one, that's got some freaky moments in There's it. There's the menace to the, to American Tale. It's really shocking yeah. how how kind of dark that that movie gets at, at times. And and some of that I think is, you know, Don Bluth and um he had worked at Disney prior to going out on his own. Right. So he had been on that side of things. And I have nothing against I like Disney movies uh for the most part. I've enjoyed 90% of the the Disney movies that I've watched. But I do get the idea of like, look, let's let's treat children with some respect and let them. Now, would I want to show this to to somebody say under twelve years old? Probably not. And that was a big source of controversy. Was this got rated G or U in the UK, which is the the same type of rating? In fact, okay, the uh, the British Board of Film uh, Review. Uh, has claimed that still to this day they get people complaining about the fact that this movie is rated U for for everyone. Forty years later, oh, like that's still forty years it. after the fact, everyone's yeah. really upset about it. People are still <laughs> upset, and and I kind of get that, right? If you didn't know what you're going into, and you go because again, it's uncompromising. Like there's fights between rabbits, and it's bloody, and there's there's cuts, and they're dying on screen, and not in like. Oh, it just fell over, and it's a dead. You know, it's right. it's kind of brutal in its depictions. The snare scene is the rough. The snare is, is shockingly graphic. <laughs> I was I was not ready for that one. And yeah. it just goes on too. Like it keeps going. You have there's there's a whole uh, section of that scene where it's it's the rabbits caught in the snare, and the other rabbits around it. Like, are you okay? Get up. You can't be dead. And it just stays on that, and I'm like, "Oh my, are we? How long are we going to be here?" It it really, it really drags on for sure. Um, I, I don't know if, if you have this takeaway or not. Um, I think part of the reason I didn't know anything about this movie is because all I've ever heard about is how graphic and bloody it is, and how much it traumatized people from people who saw it as kids. I'm glad I'm watching this as an adult so that that isn't, I mean, it is, it grabs your attention with that, but also that didn't monopolize my attention. I wasn't sitting there shaking through this movie. I was able to watch the entire rest of the movie and understand what it was about and appreciate what there was to appreciate about it. Um, and, and really know that this movie is about something other than, just uh you know rabbit body horror uh or or torture porn kind of uh uh depictions of of violence in nature so yeah and i had mentioned this to somebody i was talking to earlier today after i got done watching it it's like that's the thing with it is it's uncompromising it doesn't pull any punches but it's not it doesn't set out to be shocking Right. It's not like it's trying to, it's not a horror movie or it's not something that's trying to be, oh, look at all this violence and everything. It's just, this is what happens and this is what can happen. And one the scene that really made me think about that is, um, they, they make it to that field full of the tall, uh, plants and they sleep. So all these rabbits are sleeping and then a couple of them get up and the one kind of bounces out into the clearing and find something that's about to eat it, and a hawk just swoops down, grabs it, and that's you don't even oh see anything. Oh my god! <laughs> yes. And it's 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 jarring at first because you're like, holy crap! They just that rabbit just died. But that's like they show that. There's about ten seconds afterwards, and then you move on. You never hear about that again. Right. And that to me was sort of like, okay, now I kind of get what we're going for here. 
like yes there is some horrid imagery and some things that can be really scarring and as a if i if i were seeing this at you know in in 1985 and 1988 and i'm you know four or five six years old something like that it would mess with me for sure i would be it would be rough to to get over that but seeing it as an adult is i'm glad that i'm seeing it now because i can appreciate a lot more of what they're going for right. and i think i kind of agree with del toro in that being in that 12 13 14 year old range you're you're moving away from complete childhood and into your teen years you kind of can understand things a little bit better and i think this would be a, a something worthwhile to see at that point and also to show kind of what animation can be as an art form and as a medium for storytelling it doesn't just sure. have to be a musical with you know singing singing animals yeah uh yeah, the, uh, you know, talking about Disney, it is starkly different from that. And the age range for this, uh, I think, I think you're on point with that. Um, the other thing I thought about today is I'm not sure what the age range for movies like this is because um, I was I was raised on a farm, mm -hmm. and you kind of become acquainted with uh, with life and death pretty yeah. early when you live on a farm i saw dead animals I, this sounds horrible i saw animals basically my whole life mm -hmm. i mean oh, yeah. it's just it's just a fact of life of of living there when i was 12 or 13 years old i ran a a trap line uh for muskrat down, down by our at the end of our field i mean it's just sort of like this thing where um if you're not from that place it is jarring I don't know if this movie would have messed with me that much if I saw it when I was five, six years old, because I had seen dead animals by by that point and just sort of understood like, oh, yeah, these things, you know, circle of life. Let's move on. And yeah. uh, uh, it's it's jarring when you give them personalities. But at the same time, I, I was acquainted with the facts of life and death by that point. So, um, yeah, it's a little hard for me to gauge. Uh, when a normal kid should see this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, and I think like anything, it really comes down to it's the parents' choice, right? Now, part sure. of the yeah. part of the controversy behind this one when it came out was all basically all they had for ratings was okay, here's a movie for everybody, or here's a movie for adults, and that's it. Right, right. You had you had G rated and you had R rated or X rated, and that um, PG might have been around, but there was no PG thirteen at the time. So we didn't have that sort of middle ground where it's like, well, some some younger people can probably be okay with this, but you know, and look, ratings are should never be the end all be all anyway, because first, right. I mean, the I I have a whole issue with the rating system and how it goes and what gets rated what and for what reasons, but it at least gives you a, a cardinal direction to go in. If you see something as PG thirteen and you have an eight year old, you can be like, okay, I might not want to show them this yet but it might be something that that you can you know get closer to whereas right if all you've got is g or r it's like well i, I don't know um well it's There's animated a whole sure, lot of ground in between there. yeah there really <laughs> is yeah <laughs> and you know again like i i've kind of said it a few times now but the uncompromisingness and the 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 starkness that they use with this movie and the fact that they they show uh not just that there's death in it, but how graphically they show it, I think is what really throws people off because it'd be one thing right. if they had like, if every death in it was like the, the rabbit getting caught by the hawk, because that happens sort of off camera, the hawk, you see the hawk swoop in and then a couple of tufts of fur and that's it. That's almost but, more jarring in a lot of ways. It's, it really like the silence of that is really well, kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they definitely play that right. But then later on, you're getting two rabbits fighting each other, and it's just claws and claw yeah. marks. And uh, the the dog at the end that runs in is just grabbing rabbits and just throwing them, and you're just seeing lifeless bodies flop on the ground. Like, yeah. it's it, it can be affecting, and especially if you're not prepared for it. I sort of had an idea of what I was getting into, um, but it's still, like, that's it's powerful imagery. Not to mention... Probably the thing that would have gotten me the most as a kid, if I saw this, would have been the flashback when um, when Captain Holly, the the rabbit, shows up, 
and tells them about what happened to their their old Warren when the right. the, the development happened and everything got closed in and all the rabbits suffocating in the oh my yeah that would have because that that's got because it's so much more stylized in the imagery it's even more kind of visually arresting to see it and on top of you're you're literally talking about like animals d- buried alive no thank you i don't uh, i don't need that in my brain at right years old. the 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 mass grave of cute bunnies is <laughs> is jarring but uh, I have to just say from watching it today, the imagery of it, it's, it's disturbing, but it was so beautiful. Like there, there are points, uh, there's, there's sometimes the art wasn't quite hidden for me, but whenever they would go in this stylized direction, like the creation myth at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, the, the black rabbit, the black, the, like the death rabbit who would come down. Yep. And and guide them like uh, all that stuff. I man, I was there for it. It was just such so vastly different from the rest of the movie. Um, it was stylized in the best way. It was almost psychedelic and just some really cool imagery. And and my hats off to them because I don't think the animation budget was all that for this movie. It it. It looks a little cheap in some places. It looks like a TV animated movie. Yeah, that um, was the feel. But they I got. really pulled out the stops at, in a few of those those instances, and I was really impressed with the lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I overall I like the look of it. I, I kind of like the way that they they slightly anthropomorphized the rabbits. I wish they. Right. At times, I wish they would have gone a little bit further because, especially early on, when the when the group that left the original Warren were moving, until a few of those got kind of thinned out, it was hard to keep track of who was who. <laughs> yes, like with the exception exactly. of Bigwig, yeah. you could tell who Bigwig was and Blackberry because they had distinct looks, yep. but the rest of them all looked very similar. Very and similar. Yeah. So it was really hard, and not only that, but they would be all brown and then they would go in somewhere else and suddenly they all look gray and it's like, okay, now I can't tell any of them apart. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> so, and yeah, saying it kind of looks like a made for TV. That, that's that kind of feels right. It had a budget. I think I read it got up to around $4 million, um, which is not a very large budget, even in 19, you know, 77, 78 for an animation for animation. Yeah. Um, I agree with you though the stylized stuff the the black rabbit of death um stuff that they did while the scene with the art garfunkel song felt like it kind of ground the story to a halt for a little bit but it looked amazing so it was sort of a 50-50 on that whether whether I would cut that or not um right cuz it like it looks really cool it's got that really interesting uh kind of animation going on and, and all these weird images, but then it's like, okay, but what about our story? We had something interesting going and now, cause I had, I had thought for a minute that uh, Hazel had died. Like I, I honestly yeah, thought uh, after he got shot that he was out. Same. Uh, and, and that, that whole, I mean, you can say that for the song too, like the art Garfunkel song. I'm like, this isn't a bad song, but it just doesn't fit anything that's going on in this movie. It's just everything about that sequence almost just was like an out of body experience for the rest of this movie. Kind of. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's not bad. I just was like, it's like a puzzle piece that, that isn't quite cut. Right. It didn't quite line up with anything else that was going on. Yeah. Um, and I felt like it, it took, it's kind of bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And it felt like it took a little bit of the runtime away from some other story elements, like the scene where big wig runs out into the field and kind of, um, grabs the attention of the Fox. And has the fox chase him? That scene goes from he runs out, you hear him yelp, and then he's back with the group. But then he tells them this story of running into other rabbits and all this. And I'm like, wait, did did I miss a scene? Did it get cut? Like, what happened here? Did it? What happened with my version of this movie? Where where is that? And I almost feel like that would have been more important to have in the 90 minute runtime than the Art Garfunkel song. To show that instead of him explaining it, mm-hmm. 
And yeah. it also explains it in like voiceover, like uh, like an overhead shot, you know. So yeah, it's it's all uh, kind of um, well, everything's ADR, but you, you know, like it's all just sort of like they didn't even animate him explaining it. It's just yeah, it's very very bizarre. Some of the shortcuts. Yeah, and it it, it felt yeah, it kind of felt like they had to throw that in there as a way to bridge the the story and give us a reason for this other group of rabbits to be part of the story. And they're like, "Ooh, we didn't right. animate that, so let's quick record this, talk about it." Okay, now we've got it. Like they they missed part or something. I don't know. Um, so, but you know, that's what I would have done, and maybe stick the Art Garfunkel song over the end credits. <laughs> Because it's a good song. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it did seem like an end credit song, um, but just kind of stuck in the in the middle there. Um, while we're on the that topic of uh, was it Fiverr Fi- uh, chasing the black? Yes. Uh, well, Fiverr was so Fiverr was the younger rabbit that had the visions, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's never like blatantly said it, this rabbit is a uh, psychic right i mean he has some sort of like uh, got to be something i uh it, it was um right at the beginning he smells like the cigarette and he goes oh that man's coming and then he has this weird vision of like blood on the field and all that and i i legitimately thought Oh, that's not a cigarette. That's a joint. And he's <laughs> super paranoid. <laughs> and I really thought he was high. I'm like, man, they are edgy with their animation in uh, the UK. But, uh, you know, I think if this was, was being made today, of, that's what they would do. Right. That might be it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it just, as, as the whole movie played out, it just sort of became like, oh, we just, the whole driver of the plot of this movie is that this rabbit has psychic powers that are never really um never really talked about they just sort of take it on faith that he has a vision and they follow him mm-hmm. uh to new meadow yeah um, and i, which I, I wonder bizarre, but it worked for me once i got to figuring out that that was just a given of the plot yeah yeah once you accept that it makes it makes it a lot easier i wonder if and i have not read the book um ace in the chat said that uh, she has read it so maybe she knows if that is talked about at all in the novel or, or at least expounded on, um, I'm not sure because you're right. Like at first it's just, Oh, okay. So he has this vision, but then it keeps happening to him. And even at the end, he's having another vision as the, as the rabbits are trying to sort of break their way into the burrows. Um, and it's never, it's never really brought up, but, but at the same time, like the other rabbits are just like, wait, what's wrong with him? So I don't, it's interesting, but you're right. Once you sort of accept like, okay, that's part of this narrative, then that's fine. I I do wonder what happened to Fiverr at the end. Cause he's just sort of like after that little fit that he has, we never see him or hear from him. He's just out of the story. Yeah. um, Everything just kind of abruptly ends. Even (laughs) like Hazel uh, gets some closure. Yeah. But it happens so quickly. It was like they were under the gun to end the movie that I feel like um, I feel like you didn't really get the moment that you wanted to say goodbye to Hazel. He just sort of goes, yeah, I will come with you. And he lays down and <laughs> dies. And it's just like, it's just flat out over. And it's, it's um, kind I, of, I, yeah. It was like yeah, they I had mean, a hard the, out at 90 minutes. So like, we can't go past 90 the, minutes. It's gotta be done. That's exactly what it felt like. I'm like, give us, give us a minute. Uh, for him, you know, he looks at the other rabbits and, and the black rabbit says, they'll be fine. Come with me. And I'm like, that's beautiful. And then he just lays down and then it's just like, you don't even really get a moment with him. He takes a couple breaths and, and, and it's a hard out. And, uh, I thought that was a, a beautiful moment that got cut short a mm-hmm. little bit. You know what I mean? I will say, though, for all the deaths in this movie, that was probably the most heartbreaking one just because he just lays himself down, a couple of deep breaths, and then you see that one ear fall, and that's the moment you know right. he's he's just let himself go. He, he, he's, he's out, yeah. And uh, he, it, you, I, th- I think for, uh, who was the big one? The one with the, uh, the one with the hair. Uh, big wig. Uh, big wig, yeah. Um, you felt like he was made out to be the, the protector cause he mm-hmm. was kind of the heavy, 
Um, but it really was like Hazel was the leader who was sort of the caretaker of the rest of these rabbits. So you sort of got this almost like uh, paternal role that he filled. Uh, so I don't know. You did have a connection to him. Plus, I mean, it doesn't hurt that he's voiced by John John Hurt, one of the most recognizable voices. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And you just, you know, I just, I love John Hurt. And so you're always, I always feel like, oh, man, I'd follow that voice anywhere. Like, whatever. So. And it, it's, um, that's, that's something that's interesting to me because John Hurt's voice is not what you would normally think of as like, ooh, that's a great voice and a great voice acting voice, right? Because it's, it's a little bit raspy. Um, right. It's it's not your traditional kind of uh, voice, but it works so well. And he has even in 1978, and they I think they may have recorded these in probably 76 or 77. Even then, he has almost a grandfatherly kind of feeling to his voice. Exactly. Yeah. There's a there's a gruff sweetness to that to that voice that is sort of like, oh, this is a kind of a kindly old man kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, he's always had it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now they did make a. Um, there was a, a series um, based on this in 1999, and he actually came back and did a voice in that too. But he wasn't Hazel. Um, he actually did the voice of which one was it? Um, General uh, the the bad the bad guy General okay. Woundwort yeah. um, at the end. He did that voice for the uh, the second one. Oh, wow. that they made back in 99 so that was kind of cool um yeah there were some pretty decent names in terms of british cinema in this with john hurt um i didn't catch it at first but as soon as i read that this was the the voice um i heard it the uh the rabbit that they run into about part about uh, roughly halfway through or a little bit before that that's sort of he's living underneath like the farm and getting food yeah. from the human Right, and it's got the traps yeah. around it. And I, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, because that voice bugged me until I looked it up. Cows, <laughs> cowslip, and it was voiced by Denholm Elliott, aka yep. Marcus Brody. And I was like, okay, Marcus now Brody. I know. Yes, that's it. As soon as I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark on his IMDb, I'm like, yes, that's it. Yep. I can go to sleep tonight, and and I'll be <laughs> fine. Yeah, like. <laughs> and he's only in the one scene, but it's an effective scene because he's sort of, he's sort of the rabbit that's given up, right? Like he's just given up on being a rabbit at this point. Um, almost nihilistic in some ways. He, he even rejects like the rabbit kind of mythology that they all believe. Uh, yeah. Which I thought was interesting, but yeah, Denholm Elliott. So you had him. He has um, a great, they they have a great sight gag of not gag, but like, uh, he's, he's sort of doing the Shakespearean, like, poetry slam Mm -hmm. uh at one point and the the whole the rabbit hole to the outside world is above him and the moonlight's coming in and it's like a spotlight hitting him on the stage it's just this great visual as he's you know sort of waxing poetic and and posing he's this very shakespearean voice it's it's great he's a great character in this weird um it's it's almost like an like the Odyssey or or any take on the Odyssey where they just meet the series of weird characters through there, and his just uh, his was so memorable to me. Um, mm-hmm. That was that was so cool. Yeah, he sticks out in the movie. Um, a couple of other now the only other name that I really that I really recognized off the bat was uh, Zero Mostel Mostel, who yeah. was Kahar the the bird. The bird. Um, bird. He he acted in a whole bunch of different stuff. Probably best known being in the the producers. Um, the only problem I had was I wondered why the bird spoke such a broken dialect of whatever he was trying to speak. Like why they went that direction? Because you really, I mean, it's it's all rabbits. The uh, the rats never make any um, never speak. They're only in the one scene, but the yeah. cat does. Um, the cat does. The dog doesn't. Now that's the interesting uh, one, and that's the trope that I always have with with movies that involve kind of anthropomorphized animals. There's always some subset of the animals that are still beast-like, and typically, if it's woodland creatures, it's something like a dog or a wolf, unless right. that character, unless that animal is going to play a major part in it, they are going to be that way. 
Um, and I always find that interesting that there's always like one. And in this case, it was the dog. But I didn't dislike Kahar as a character. I just wondered why they went that route with him almost, I guess, maybe because he's like a seagull and he's not from that area. It, yeah, I don't know. We were um, <laughs> watching it and Christy goes, uh, is he German? <laughs> and we were, so we we're kind of listening and we're like, it's more like a vague, like Mission Impossible accent. Just that vague Eastern yeah. European kind yeah. of not quite anything. Um, but uh, the, the big vibe I got was he's a comic relief bird, basically. And it made me wonder if that's where the, is it a crow in Secret of Nim? Oh, yeah. Um, again. There's so many parallels to Secret of Nim. It's all about finding a new home and and uh, sort of this underground world of of vermin, basically. And there's a there's a comic relief clumsy bird in each of them. And I just wondered how much of this Don Bluth cribbed. And I'm not throwing shade on Secret of Nim. I love that movie. Um, but it just th- there's a lot of parallel between the two of them. I'd be curious to know because I know the secret of Nim is also based on a book and I, but I don't know if that uh, yeah. character that was, and that was voiced by Dom DeLuise. If that character was, yeah, was part yeah. of the book or not, um, that was Jeremy was the, the character that he played. Jeremy, that's right. Yeah. I'd be interested to know because the clumsy sort of comic relief bird, uh, also popped up in the rescuers. Not that long after this, um, as their, their albatross, right? Um, so right. it seems like that's sort of a go-to, like make the birds kind of, is that a, is that a bird brain joke? Make the birds kind of dumb and yeah, maybe slightly uh, lovable. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, that's really wild. Uh, the other, uh, the other ones that didn't speak were like the birds of prey. So it was almost like the prey or the predator animals kind of were the ones who didn't speak, save for the cat, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Save for the cat. And the cat really has one line, right? It's one, one moment of, yeah. of really speaking. Um, and boy, did that, uh, did Hazel ever get deus ex machina or what? Because he was, Hazel was done. And then, but the, the housewife, the, the lady on the farm is like, cat, no. Yeah. 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 I, I, I have three cats. They do not listen that well. <laughs> no. and, uh, Especially not if they've caught you. something. If they, if they if they are chasing something, forget it. It's it's like <laughs> that cat is gone. Yeah. So I, I I got a chuckle out of that too. That that tickled me a little bit. But yeah, and uh, like outside of this, it was a lot of really good stage actors. Ralph Richardson uh, is a voice that I've heard. He was the chief rabbit. Um, okay. Roy Kinnear was um, was Pipkin, and uh, he's best remembered as Veruca Salt's father in uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate oh, okay. Factory, Mr. Salt. Um, Terrence Rigby is silver. Uh, so Lynn Fairley is basically, was the cat, um, and she was one of like two female voices in the whole thing. I guess three if you count the farmer's wife. Um, but really good. I think the voice acting in this overall was, was pretty good. Um, and that's, it, it was, um, uh, it was, it was really good. It just got lost in like the sound mix sometimes. Like there's a lot of Foley of just rustling grass. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's almost like, is this just a bad like transfer on HBO? Like, or because sometimes it just was like, oh, that's coming through a little loud. And, um, at a couple points, I almost put closed captions on because, I just was, uh, and part of that is an English accent thing when your ears mm-hmm. aren't quite tuned to it. Um, uh, but it did, yeah, that might have been it because it. I did sort of tune into it a little better as we as we went. Sometimes it takes me a few minutes. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a good uh, voice cast as well. But I mean, you mentioned it's largely male, mm-hmm. and that's basically the plot 
half of this movie is they they get to paradise and go, oh, it's a total sausage party up here. <laughs> we right. need to go back. And, um, yeah, if we want to continue this way of, of the yeah. society, I guess we're going to need some doughs up here. Um, so, hmm, we missed something in the planning stages of this whole thing. Yeah, we, we forgot a little something, but... Uh, uh, yeah, it's funny that, it, oh, that's completely reflected in the voice cast, too. There's, like, three female characters that we hear mm-hmm. from, um, even though there's, like, a whole hutch of female rabbits. Yeah, um, we, we hear one know, of them. <laughs> one of them speaks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and some of that, I'm sure, is uh, is budget-related, right? You don't want to overdo recording um, too many people if you're not going to use them, that kind of stuff. Uh, right. Two other names I forgot to mention, by the way, were Nigel Hawthorne is... Um, is Captain Campion. He's like the second in command of the the second Warren of Rab- Rabbits. Yeah. And Nigel Hawthorne is just, he should have been in this more. Uh, he's a great voice, right? Um, and then uh, the the rabbit, uh, Blackavar, who was the, he was the one with two torn up ears, right? Because that right. Warren of Rabbits would tear your ear as a mark. Well, he had tried more than once, so they tore up both his ears. He was voiced by Joss Acklin, um, who, if you ever saw The Hunt for Red October, he was the Russian ambassador in that. Or Lethal okay, Weapon yeah, 2, yeah. the dip- yes. diplomatic yeah, immunity. Yeah. That guy. That, that, yeah, the dude. Uh, yeah. That, again, vaguely European guy. Yes. He's <laughs> great in Red October when, uh, you know, they talk about the missing submarine without mm-hmm. admitting it's a missing submarine. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so he was the voice of that rabbit too. Uh, and I'd forgotten that. Yeah. I, I kind of see what you're saying too, with some of the sound mix. Um, but I think that some of that is, um, 1970s filmmaking too, because even if you go back right. and watch, um, live action stuff from the time, the way sound was mixed at that time was just, you got a lot of background and a lot of Foley work that would come punch up over dialogue half the time. I can remember the first time I saw, I want to say it was the French connection and I had a ton of trouble with it the first time because I'm oh, like, yeah. man, I can't hear half of what they're saying and I'm sure it's important. It's a loud ass movie. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it really it is. very much is. <laughs> um, so, okay. We mentioned some of the other kind of contemporary uh, animation stuff to this in the, you know, sort of mid to late seventies into the early eighties. Where would you kind of put that in sort of, in that, kind of pantheon right in that in that list of stuff from that era where would you put watership down in there would you would you rank it fairly high i it's it's if you're talking about ranking like personally that's one thing if you're talking about ranking for recommendation i don't know that i recommend this movie to people because it's one of those things that's like boy this really might not be for you depending on your sensibilities but um, just for how interesting this movie is, I wouldn't rank it low. I don't know that it, this is something like that I would watch again and again. Mm-hmm. So I would rank it like, um, probably mid-level of, of what was being made at the time. That Lord of the Rings Bakshi thing is, I mean, you're trying to roll three enormous books into one, you know, feature length animated thing. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing with all of the non-Disney stuff is that you want to rank it high just for having the cojones to be interesting and take some chances. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't all execute. And I think this executes... Um, this takes a lot of chances and it it fails at some points, but where it succeeds, I think it it succeeds big. So mm-hmm. I, w- I think I would rank this fairly high for like a late seventies, uh, non Disney animation. You know, this was sort of like a, a weird in between period for Disney anyway, before that, that second age of like late eighties stuff. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you because this was the time period, but Disney was at its weakest. They hadn't had the, the new Renaissance yet with, um, uh, that got started with little mermaid. Um, but they hadn't quite gotten to the point of they, they also hadn't really gone to sort of the like black cauldron or, or gone in a different direction yet, but right. it was, it was just sort of like everything, right. what they were putting out with the exception maybe of Robin hood 
was just sort of there. Like I, I remember them, but they're not, uh, they're not as memorable to me in this, this period of time. But you also had around this time, uh, Rankin Bass was doing a lot of stuff. They were doing both the Hobbit and the return of the King. Um, a few years later, they did the last unicorn, which is often lumped in with, um, this movie as one that's very kind of violent and difficult for kids. Um, Don Bluth starting off. I, I, I'm with you in that it's hard to, to recommend this as a movie you should watch because it's a very simple story, but if, if the imagery isn't going to work for you, then you're just not going to get anything out of it or you're going to traumatize your kids. One or the other. It's going to turn you off or, or just make you hate it for that reason. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's hard to say, yes, you need to go out and watch Watership Down. But I think that if you're a fan of animation, um, I do think it's worth seeing because, again, like I sort of talked, I touched on a little bit. It's like it sh- this shows that animation can really tell some interesting stories and it doesn't just have to be something that's geared for kids. So when you lump that in with Bakshi is is the prime example I give for that because he really tried to sort of stretch and do some different stuff between Lord of the Rings and uh, Wizards with yeah. another one um, and everything like that. Uh, heavy metal, uh, all that all that stuff he was doing at that time. Yeah. Oh, um, so, yeah, I mean, it, do I recommend seeing it? Maybe, but I do think that, uh, that it's really good. I, I would put it below... Um, I put it below Lord of the Rings. I, I, I think that that attempt to put that through now that that one is they didn't weren't necessarily going to do three movies but i think they wanted to do it in two and just the first one didn't do very good yeah so they never made that sequel but i really think that's that's kind of underrated in terms of like the scope that they were going for and some of the animation techniques that they used that that back the she used to the rotoscope yeah. and all of that was really cool looking so i i would put that above this the um Secret of Nim, some of that early Don Blue stuff, even the Rankin Bass. Like I love the Rankin Bass Hobbit. For me, that's just a great version of that story. Um, I also have at least part of that is a very nostalgic thing for me because I saw that when I was very young, and it was one sure. of my first sort of forays into Tolkien was actually getting to see that movie. But but I would put that in a personal list above this movie. However, from a uh, from an aspect of like kind of animation filmmaking, this definitely ranks high for me. Um, I just think it's, it's really well executed and it's something that if you are, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that it's meant for kids, but it's also not going to be like super, Oh my God, I can't believe this shocking. Right. It is an uncompromising look at nature. I, th- I think it's remembered as being more shocking than it is. I think if you have age-appropriate kids, if you're coming to it as an adult, like we did, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, I think this is a a really enjoyable movie that it it doesn't pull punches, like you say, but it's not the scarring nightmare that you remember it being. Um, maybe if you're carrying that baggage still, yeah, it's yeah. going to open some wounds. But like if if you're coming to it fresh, I I think it's I think it's fair to take a look at, um, and you know, talking about we we talked about the secret of Nim and and that influence. I think this influenced other things because I got uh, a real star strong like uh, Mouse Guard vibe. I don't know if you're familiar with the comic book Mouse Guard. Uh, uh, I am not. It's essentially like. Uh, uh, medieval warriors, but they're mice who live in the forest. Their world looks insanely similar hmm. to what we saw in the rabbit burrows. It is a whole sort of city of mice and a society, and you have warriors and you have other clans of other animals. There's a real strong vibe coming off of that. And uh, I, if David Peterson said he was strongly influenced by this movie, <laughs> I don't think I would be surprised. So I give this movie a lot of points for being probably far more influential than people realize it is. 
Oh, I bet. And, you know, it, it's funny because the guy that uh, did a lot of the work on it, which was um, Martin Rosen, he didn't go on to do a ton else. He did do another uh, animated film. He directed The Plague Dogs. I don't know if you ever saw that. I did not, but I've I heard it. I don't know that. Yeah. I have, I have heard that's another one that's um, a rough one to watch uh, as an animation because of just kind of themes and imagery. Um, and he did uh, an episode of American Playhouse, and that was that was pretty much it. So his his, uh, but he he was a producer for a few things after this. Huh. Um, but he didn't have the animation career that you would think something like this could have spawned. That you know, say like a a Bakshi or a Richard Williams or a Don Bluth ended up having uh it's almost like he did this in plague dogs and maybe just kind of got out of the animation game um which is unfortunate because i think the look of it was pretty good i I don't i don't put it as high uh in terms of animation as as a uh you know even like back she had such a a unique style that was always ever changing or richard williams i mean richard williams is way out there I still want to see if I can find a, a good version or as close to his version of the thief and the cobbler as I can, because I would be fascinated to see that. Um, that's, that's a movie I would love to talk about uh, at some point because yeah, the story behind it, it, the story behind that alone is crazy. It took like 20 something years to make and it never actually got finished. And the, the version that they ended up putting out was panned as one of the worst animated films ever made because of how much they cut it they chopped it up like it's it's kind of crazy um but his he did uh in the 70s he did raggedy ann and andy um which i've only seen clips of but the clips that i have seen of that uh gave me acid flashbacks and i've never taken acid (laughs) so i just i I don't know if i could handle it uh, hell of an endorsement Um, but you know, I just, I, I would have thought that this could have spawned up more of a career for Martin Rosen. Uh, and it's unfortunate that John Hubley who had worked on this and then left, he died shortly after. Um, so he didn't really get to see much of that. And again, that sort of visual style, that whole opening, that opening was probably my favorite part. I I will say that the, the creation myth. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It just, it had this really cool look to it. And even like the way the sun is sort of the creator God and it's got like nine eyes and it's pulsing yeah. and like everything has this weird otherworldly look to it. I just really, really liked that, that whole, it bit, had so. a, it had a look that was almost, uh, it was like influenced by like native American art mm-hmm. or some sort of like tribal African art. And then the tale they tell is one that would come from those, societies where you know the rabbits are almost like tricksters who are getting punished by you know the big dad god and uh all the you know sort of a creation of all these animals got the traits that they have yeah um it's just such an interesting way to kick off what's already a weird movie they're like we're gonna introduce this all in the weirdest way possible (laughs) And it works. It you know, like yeah. if you want to talk about putting it on the line. It really works to do it that way. Yeah, it really does. Uh, one other thing I thought was very interesting is this was the first animated movie to be presented in Dolby stereo. And I wouldn't have thought that. Really? Like if you had said if, if if that was at trivia night, I would get that one wrong, hundred percent. I would never have guessed that this was the first Dolby. You stereo. would never think of this movie. Yeah. No. It's, uh, that's wild. Um. And it was the sixth highest grossing film at British box offices in 1979 as well. So it, it did okay in the UK. It didn't do great in the US, not surprising, um, uh, just based on it having a full British cast in the late 70s, but also the the word of mouth would have just killed this, right? Because the first people that saw yeah, it, probably. Um, yeah. that would have been it. In fact, I couldn't even find uh, U.S. box office numbers, but I, I read a little bit and I, I heard somewhere around like the $3 billion range. So I'm sure that didn't help Martin. This strikes Rosen's me career. more. This strikes me more as like a, a movie that wouldn't play in, in U.S. theaters. It would be the weird thing you found on your local PBS station mm-hmm. at like 1130 at night on Sunday. You know, like just 
what is this? You get all these yeah. weird British import TV to, to PBS and, uh, yep. and you would end up watching it till one in the morning or something like that. They did have a cut that played apparently on CBS at one time. They had cut it down to like 74 minutes or something. So I don't, I'm not sure what parts they cut out. I've never seen it, but uh, I do know that that did happen. Yeah, you're right. This does seem like that kind of late night, uh, middle of the night PBS thing that you're just like, what, what am, what some, there was something I watched that was exactly that. And now I can't think of what it was. Um, it might've been the first time I saw the phantom toll booth actually. Now that I think about it. Oh yeah. yeah I could see that. I've never seen the phantom toll booth. I've seen like summaries of it and stuff like that. But yeah, that very much strikes me as like, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen like the weird last half oddity of that. that. Yeah. Yes. And I, I was uh, I was enraptured by it, but I had no clue what the hell was going on the entire time. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, in summary, I would say this one is is not one that I would recommend to everybody. Go out and see; you're going to love it. I did enjoy it, and it sounds like you did enjoy it too. So, and this was you, yeah. this was one that you brought to me as as hey, why don't we watch this? And I thought that was a great. I mean, it was a good call. Because I can now say that I've seen it, and I get also why people like um, Danny Ora are traumatized by it uh, for life. <laughs> she it's, was it's, shocked. She's like, you picked this movie. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, I've been threatened with, uh, when I have nightmares, you're going to hear about it. Oh, great. Okay, yes. well, <laughs> yes. I'm um, sorry, but yeah, also not. Well, you, uh, you asked me, I got HBO Max a couple months ago and with the you know turner classics and all Mm -hmm. this stuff on there i went through and just threw a bunch of stuff on my list that i i'm like i've always wanted to see this movie let me throw it on the list i'll get to it so when you asked it was like let me go through and find something and it's like oh watership down like that's that's right there i've i've wanted to see this for quite a while and uh and i'm i am i'm glad i picked it i'm glad that i sat down in in spent some time with this movie and saw saw what traumatized my peers <laughs> yes. uh, at that age. So, um, yeah, it's really, really cool to actually finally watch it. My big takeaway question is, why is it called Watership Down? I don't know if I missed something, if there's a big, obvious metaphor that should have slapped me in the face, but I, I never quite got that. So, if I am correct... And I'm probably not. I believe Watership Down is the location that they end up at as a down. Oh. In the British countryside. I believe. I might be wrong there. The title refers to the rabbit's destination, Watership Down, a hill in North Hampshire. Okay. Of Hampshire, England. That so, makes a lot of, yeah. uh, of I was thinking it was like, well, they were on a boat. <laughs> you know, um, honestly, going into it, I was thinking the same thing. So, <laughs> so thank you, Ace. Uh, um, now, yeah, thank you. Uh, that's, that clears it all up. <laughs> yeah. Now, were you aware that there was a, uh, a four-part um, series that is on Netflix from 2018 uh, of this? I, I was aware it was made. I have not seen it. I know very little about it. I remember when it came out i was thinking about watching it but i wanted to watch the original first yeah i i actually had the exact same thing and now that i've seen the original i want to watch it because listen to this cast and tell me this doesn't uh get you a little bit excited to listen to it hazel is voiced by james mcavoy fiverr is voiced by nicholas holt um big wig is voiced by john boyega general woundwart is ben kingsley you got Tom Wilkinson in here. Nice. Gemma Arterton, Peter Capaldi, Olivia Coleman. Holy crap. Taryn Edgerton. That's great. Just keeps going. So now that I've seen the original, I want to go back and watch uh and watch this one now. Cause uh, yeah, I think I'm I think I'm gonna watch uh this as well because um yeah, this sort of wet my appetite for for more. And it's a four part series. It's probably paced a little bit better. That was the other thing I was thinking, too, is, yeah, with the amount of world building that they try to do in this movie to, to condense it into that hour and a half to take it and make it out into four four episodes, however long they are. Like, I'm, I'm on board because I am a big yeah. proponent. If anybody that listens to this show knows, a lot of times I talk about, especially with anything that is 
sci-fi or fantasy related, which I would kind of throw this into the fantasy realm, is yeah. more more is often better with that because you're trying to build your world. So spread that out and let it be episodic, and you can you can build that world a little bit and tell your story. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to be checking this one out for sure. Ab- absolutely, because that that was probably my biggest problem with this is in the same way that Hazel dies very suddenly. Like we're thrown right into the plot of this movie. Mm-hmm. You don't get any build up to what the dynamic of this group of rabbits is, it or the the power structure. You're just sort of dragged through it very quickly and thrown out into it. You catch up. You're not lost, but it, it just is a little bit jarring. And I think with a little more room to breathe, I would imagine the novel is is also much better because you're able to to flesh that out, mm-hmm. you know, in oh, prose. Um, but yeah, that, that was probably my biggest hang up with this was just how, how quick the pacing was. And we didn't really get an intro to a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So the runtime of the series, by the way, for, for all four episodes is 204 minutes. So three plus hours. That's probably perfect. Yeah. So yeah, about 50, what, 50 minutes an episode roughly. That's, that's good. I I'm looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, I'm there for it, man. <laughs> well, Phil, I want to say thanks for you coming on this week. This was fun. Uh, this was a, a, a movie that I wouldn't have picked by myself, but I'm super glad that I, I finally sat down and watched it. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for having me. I'm glad I'm glad you gave me a reason to, to finally uh, kick this to the top of my list and, and sit down with it. Now, you posted on, I think it was Instagram, uh, a little doodle that you did while you were watching um, this movie, which, by the way, was really cool. Uh, what's where? Where can people find some of your artwork? Do you post on Instagram uh, a fair bit? Uh, Instagram is yeah at philrude seventy five. I put a lot of uh, drawing and videos, and you have to put up with seeing me hiking and my cats on there too. But uh, yeah, mostly it's mostly it's artwork there. <laughs> or you can go uh, philrude dot com and. Uh, I post my podcast episodes there. Uh, I've started drawing some more comics. I'm posting those there. Uh, if you can find it on Instagram, you can find it on my site or vice versa. So it's it's all connected. Excellent. You said that was philrood, R-O-O-D dot com? That's it. What's, yep, your, that's what's it. your podcast about? Let people know about that, too. I do a podcast with my... Uh, my middle son, I have to put him in order. Uh, <laughs> Austin's <laughs> my, he's my 20 year old son. Uh, we just, we watch and review movies. Uh, we each pick it's a, you know, back and forth. We bring something that we like or something like this that we've wanted to see. And, uh, it's just a, a movie review podcast. It's called the picture show with Austin and Phil rude. And, uh, we are starting our second season uh next week uh the first episode of the second season comes out and we're talking about the pixar movie soul that just came out uh like a month ago very cool um so i do that and uh for every episode uh it also goes on youtube and i draw something inspired by that movie and so there's a video of me drawing that uh with the audio of the podcast over it so you can nice. get it wherever you get podcasts, or you can watch it on my YouTube channel, which is also Phil Rude. Excellent. Well, very cool. I, I will definitely check some of those out. And um, and this has been a ton of fun. Uh, we'll have to do this again. We'll have to find another Same. movie. Yeah, absolutely. And do this again. Now, this show comes out uh, in podcast form every Wednesday, and you can get it anywhere you find podcasts. Just search for Wait You Haven't Seen. If you do listen on something like Apple Podcasts. If you can give us a review or a rating, that helps make the show more discoverable for other people to find. Uh, if you want to be like J.F. DeBow or Danny Ora or Ace or Wicked Kitten and join us in our chat room, Nisbet was in there uh, when I record. That is on Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time on twi- at twitch.tv slash Travis. And I love having people in the chat room and while I might ignore what you're saying, I do read everything that you put in there. So I'm watching. You remember that. Um, next week, I have on Jay Dimes from uh, Joystick and Mouse. Tim's going to come back, and we're going to talk about The Contender, starring Joan Allen. And I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, 
it's sort of timely and it's a political film uh, right around the inauguration. But I, I thought it was kind of an interesting one. He brought up to me, and uh, we're, so we're going to watch that. I've never seen it before, so I'm kind of I'm looking forward to it. And we're closing in on episode number 100. Now it's only going to be a couple more weeks before that, and I've got uh, a pretty fun movie for that week. That um, spoiler. I have never seen before and it will probably shock a few people. I know the people, the folks that I have on as guests for that week were gobsmacked when I told them what movie. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Look forward to that. But until then, Phil, it's been a pleasure. We'll do it again. And for everybody out there listening, be excellent to each other and enjoy some movies because there's a lot of good ones out there right now. Um, this has been Wait You Haven't Seen. Have a good one. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>